How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Today's episode of the Locked On Knicks podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, the best and easiest way to purchase tickets for concerts or sporting events. Download the SeatGeek mobile app, Go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code. Then enter the promo code LONIX and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code LONIX today. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah. Uh, my city and wide. Yeah, let me take my time. I'm on my grind. Gotta make sure that we shine. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. HR to the death and first always my team for sure. Can't fall off, gotta family support. Gotta make sure you succeed and reach our dream. Now live through me, I'm about to take off. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Knicks podcast. This is episode 71. I am your host, Jared Dubin, and as you know by now, I'm bringing you insight into the New York Knicks every day, Monday through Friday. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review and a rating on iTunes, and tell your friends to do the same. Coming at you this late Friday afternoon, just before uh, the Knicks take on the Timberwolves tonight, to talk about point guards and some other stuff with Tim Bontemps, my good friend and the national NBA writer for the Washington Post who is driving in his car in Oakland right now on the way back from Warriors practice and was kind enough to give me a minute. Tim, what's up, man? Uh, I think it's a little presumptive, Jared, to to tell people that, that you're guaranteeing them insight into the Knicks every day. That's a lot. I'm just going to blow right past that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not just messing around. It's good to, good to, good to chat with you as yeah. always. Well, I would say that the insight part is what I really shouldn't be guaranteeing. Like, if, the talking if, about... I should, be, I should be guaranteeing, like, deranged ramblings and complaints <laughs> and... Complaints, for sure. And no stupid stats and, <laughs> and, like, and a whole bunch of other stuff that doesn't matter. Um, this is good radio right here. Um, so... Let's start not with the point guards because let's why not start with like with the most fun thing and just talk about Kristaps for a little bit, right? Well, I'm always happy to talk about my man Kristaps, so let's uh, let's get into it. What uh, what do we want to talk about? I mean, unicorniness, um, threes, uh, blocks, uh, steps forward in your second season, like did. We talked a little bit about it on your podcast before the year that there was like a possibility that, you know, he may not take a huge step forward and that if he didn't, like, it would be okay and there was nothing to worry about. Um, turns out there was nothing to worry about. Yeah, I mean, he, he is remarkable. I mean, it, it, you know, you, you look at that draft class last year and it's, it's, you know, it's got a chance to be an all-time draft class just from the, the amount of talent that's across it, but... 
you look at you look at that the guy you know he's going up against tonight, Carl Towns, and you look at Chris Epps, and I mean those two guys, I mean look like they have you know true superstar potential. Um, I still think Towns is probably a little bit higher ceiling of a guy. I think he's a little more of a complete player. Um, but I mean Porzingis is just so much fun to watch and. And to your point, like before the season, I, I was not very high on the Knicks, and I'm still overall not that high on the Knicks. Um, I think they've got a lot of structural issues, which I'm sure we'll get into as the pod goes on. But um, the fact that Porzingis has taken such a huge step, you know, that was the one thing I kind of cautioned against when I, you know, said I thought the Knicks would win somewhere around 35, 36 games before the season started was that, you know, the one way that that could wind up being wrong, or the, the, the most obvious way, would be if Porzingis really takes a huge leap. And, I mean, it's. I, I think he's going to make the All Star team. I mean, he's been absolutely tremendous, and you know, at this point, you know, the sky's the limit, and there, it's 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 nice for the Knicks to really have something to be excited about for a change moving forward. Yeah, I think at this point in the season, like if they were picking the All Star team now, he would kind of have to make it. He's. I think he's easily been one of the, the five or six best front court players in the East. Um, cert- yeah, certainly I, I he's been... A, I don't think it's a question. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's been the best player in the Knicks. Like, if you had to pick between him and Melo for the team right now... I mean, he'll, he's going to wind up starting the game, isn't he? I mean, we haven't seen any vote totals yet, but, I mean, uh, I I, I think he's going to outvote Melo this year, actually. It's possible. I mean, Melo gets so much support. Like, he starts that he game... He gets a ton of support, but, I mean, Porzingis only... If, I think if you go back and look, last year Porzingis was like... Last two hundred thousand votes behind him. Really, I think I don't remember. he had a lot of votes last year. Porzingis. If that's true, then maybe he could wind up getting the spot. Um, I'm not and sure. If I'm wrong on those numbers, then I would backtrack on that. I want to say that Carmelo got like five hundred and sixty thousand, and Chris Apps got like three hundred and eighty. I think something like that. Somebody, I think somebody tweeted the numbers out recently. We're just gonna uh, go with it. Let's let's say that they got this. <laughs> I mean, look, he's a hugely popular guy. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't get voted in, I, I, I will be very surprised if he doesn't make the team, barring, yeah. a, barring a huge change in form. Because he's been, um, he's just been awesome, and it, it really, it really, it really has been a lot of fun to watch. It's been, it's been really cool. Yeah. Other than you know his defense in the first few games of the season, probably the first like seven or eight games, he's been like about as good as you could possibly ask for. Like it's. Yep. It, there's there's not really much more you can ask him to do so far, um, especially given that he's not been like the center point of the offense, and he's doing so much of this as like a secondary or even tertiary option at times. And look, he he has right. taken that big step forward that we talked about, and I think that it's it's interesting that the Knicks have, you know, record wise, I think been around like, the area I expected for them. Like, I thought they were going to hover around 500, like I said, high 30s, low 40s in terms of uh, wins on the season. I think I think I wound up going with 41 and 41 in, like, my prediction when I sent it in. Um, but their point differential is worse than that. Like, they should be a 7-win team right now by their point differential. 7-11 um, and rather than 9-9. Nine and nine. They are... Um, they're they're right now they're uh, I think 16th in offense and 28th in defense uh, in efficiency, which, which I think know. is about which I think is about right if you look at their team. I mean maybe the defense gets a take better, but I don't think much. Right. So it's it's like he's doing that step forward, 
but it hasn't propelled the Knicks as far forward as I thought it might if he was this good, which is an, an interesting uh, balance to strike. Yeah, I think it's an indication that the team just isn't very good, and um, I, I, you know, and I, I think it, I think it's frankly a further indictment on the moves the Knicks made this summer. Most of which I was not a fan of. I, I just really, I really think the Knicks, you know, went all in with a couple guys, you know, specifically in Derrick Rose and Joe Kim Noah, that are just not nearly the players they used to be. And I think if you watch the team on a regular basis. You know, even if occasionally Rose in particular puts up some numbers that look good, more often than not, they're hurting the team a lot more than they're helping. Right. And um, so before we keep going here, I do want to take a minute to tell you about today's sponsor, SeatGeek. The NBA season is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the games you want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being at the game for the biggest plays of the year, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the tickets you want for great value. SeatGeek has the best deals on every ticket in the house, wherever you want to sit, whether that's courtside, club seats, or the upper level. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats for any game this season. I am currently in the process of using the app to find seats for a couple of trips I'm taking later on in the year. Very easy to use, set by price alerts already. Uh, By the way, if you want to do that, SeatGeek wants to help you find the best bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals to fit your budget. With SeatGeek, you will always get the best deal on every ticket because they price compare for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you shop, but SeatGeek will always find the lowest available price. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Then enter the promo code LONIX. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code LONIX today. Yeah, and, and look, the, the period of time over the last like three weeks since that Toronto game when they started playing better... The Knicks have been slightly better during that period than overall. Like they're 10th in offense and 21st in defense during that time, but they're still. Which I think is which I think is probably their ceiling. Right, that's probably like numbers. the level you would expect, like a borderline top 10 offense and a borderline bottom 10 defense. Um, they're still getting outscored overall, though they have managed to win six and lose four in that time. But even that is not. Um, a considerably above average team, which uh, you know obviously is what they envisioned themselves being. Like there, there are things that they're doing better than I expected. There are things that they're doing worse than I expected, and that has wound up making them just about the quality of team that I thought they would be. Um, it's I, I wonder if that is going to wind up being disappointing to people who had really high hopes. Or if it's just like, it's awesome that they're in every game for the most part, and they're so much fun to watch at this point, which is like a huge change for the Knicks of the last like 15 years. That like, to me, it, it doesn't even matter whether or not, you know, they're, they're beating good teams or uh, or whatever it is. Like, it's, it's fun to watch them, and they're competitive, which to me is kind of enough 
I do wonder if it will be enough for people here uh, if it continues this way throughout the rest of the season where you know they're hovering at or below 500 uh, and getting outscored overall. And I, I don't think it will be, and I think that's a mistake. And I don't think it's a mistake on the people who are disappointed. I think it's a mistake on the Knicks. I really think the Knicks did a terrible job, you know, of both way, the way they put this team together and of managing expectations. The, the goal for this season should have been to develop Chris Porzingis, that just like last year was. Like, I remember we talked in... Now, I don't know if it was on, on the podcast I do or whatever, but I remember we talked at some point in November, and it was like, the fact that Chris S. Porzingis looks like a player makes this season a success. It literally didn't matter what else happened. Yep. As long as he stayed healthy and looked like he could be a star, then the Knicks, like 2015-16 was a win for the Knicks. And 2016-17 for the Knicks should have been, let's do everything we can to make sure that Chris Stapps takes another step. And let's have guys that are going to help him grow around him and let's let's continue to build around this guy and if that happens again that's a win doesn't matter what the record is especially since the Knicks finally have their draft pick like you know that should have been the focus instead the focus was we need to win 50 games we need to get immediate veteran help we need to we need to go do all this stuff and you know I think the problem is they have a team to your point they're doing right about what they should have done. Like, I said they'd win 35 games. I thought if everything broke right, they could win in the low 40s, um, you know, get to 42, 43 wins maybe. Uh, but somewhere in that, you know, like that like 35 to 43 range. And they're right in that range. And Chris Tapps looks incredible. And that should be a success. But the problem is so many people were so hyped up by this team and thinking they were going to make the playoffs and all this stuff that now when you when you move forward and you look at them, you're going to have a lot of people that are disappointed if they win 38 games and get the eight seed or miss the playoffs, and they shouldn't be. And that, I think, is a problem for the Knicks because they've they've kind of backed themselves into a corner where if they don't have a lot of success this year from a win standpoint, it's going to be looked at as a failure no matter what Chris Stapps does. Yeah, I think the expectations management point is a really good one because, you know, you look at Chris Stapps and – he has taken a step forward, and, and it is on that level, like what you th- say would be a successful season, it can't really be going better in that department right now in, in terms no, of his not, development no and no his, his step forward and what that means for the future of the team. Um, I don't know if I would say that he's succeeded because of the moves they made in the offseason. I don't know if I would say that he's succeeded in spite of those moves. I think he's, I would just say he's just done it. I yeah, think it's right. Been, I just kind of think it's kind of been separate of all of them. I think he's yeah. just taken a massive step forward. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and that's where, you know, the expectations management comes in because if, the, if this season was billed as just being all about making sure that that, that happens and making sure that the, the franchise is set up well going forward and getting better and, and getting back on the road to being at the point where you could be a contender throughout the, the entirety of his career – then this would be thought of already. Like, look at the Lakers right now, for example, where everybody's like, the Lakers are a smashing success. They're so far ahead of schedule. Um, yeah. And even if they fall back, that's it's like... That's a great point. That's, there a, that's is, a really great point. There is so much like to be same, excited about. And yeah, that's like that's a great point, because they're, they're, to your point, they're about the same team. And one team is looked at as smashing expectations. The other team is kind of, you know, not really looked at the same way. And it's really just because... The Knicks and people around the Knicks 
said the Knicks were going to be really good. Right. Like and you look at the Lakers, they're nobody realistically should have thought that. The the Lakers are ten and ten, five hundred, just like the Knicks. They're being outscored by three points a game, so they're a little bit better than you would expect. The Knicks are nine and nine being outscored by 3.1 points a game. So they've been a little yeah. bit better than you would expect. Like, it's, yeah. it's all about the expectation management. The, the Lakers yeah. are a smashing success, and the Knicks are, you know, about what we expected them to be and, and maybe could be a little bit better, maybe could be a little bit worse. Um, and, and now, if like like you said, I think they, they have shown that they're capable of sticking with teams on a night-to-night basis, and that's good. And, and I think that because of that, they could stay in the hunt throughout the entire season. Um, I don't know if they'll necessarily get in. Like there are, are plenty of teams that are in that situation. Yeah, also, I, I think I think the problem for the Knicks, and, and this might be something we'll get to, is I mean the one thing we talked about this team with this team from the jump was that they their their top few guys are pretty good, but after that there's a pretty massive drop off. Yeah. And, if if they I'm they have, and they have a lot of guys that are going to suffer some injuries and once they start to miss some time I really think you know this is this is the kind of group that could really kind of go into a bit of a tailspin. Yeah, I mean, look, Noah has already missed some time. Um, that has benefited that's, that's, them. That's been a good. That's been a good right. thing. Right. That has benefited them. Um, Rose or Jennings? Well, let's say Chris Stapps misses five or six games, or I mean, just like occasionally sits out. I mean, they're they're gonna. Have, really struggle to win any of those games, even though Carmelo has been that good right. to his normal like, standard overall. Every, everybody other than Noah... Games, they're going to have huge trouble. Yeah, everybody other than Noah and Lance Thomas has been healthy all year. Um, right. If Carmelo has to miss games, that's a huge thing. If Chris Epps has to miss games, that's a huge thing. And, and then you Courtney go to the point Lee, guards... If Courtney Lee misses any games at all, that's a real problem. Right. Courtney Lee got hurt the other night. Uh, he said he's going to play tonight, but who knows if that... Uh, like He sprained his shooting hand and he's already dealing with a, a shoulder problem and Justin Holiday is dealing with a shoulder problem. They're both playing through it. Um, yeah. Then you look at point guard, like I th- I think it's fair to say that Rose and Jennings have both been slightly better than reasonable expectations so far. Like Rose hasn't lived up to the unreasonable expectations some people had for him. Um, <laughs> yes. But I th- he's been better um than than I expected offensively. Like he's getting to the basket uh, about like twice as often as he has over the last few years, um, and he's finishing there really, really, really well. Which is you know the big improvement, and and that's been huge for them because once he puts his head down and goes to the basket, he's going to the basket, and that's what's happening. Now, um, now, do you think now do you think that is small sample size theater and it's going to regress, or do you think that's? I mean, some of it only because state. like nobody finishes at like seventy percent at the rim, other than LeBron right. and and like Steph. Even Rose right. at his peak was not that good of a finisher. Well, at that, the rim. and that is what and that Frank and that I'm with you, and that's why I brought that up because that's what concerns me. Is he he's been about what I expected him to be, which hasn't been that good overall. But the fact that he's been about what I expected or maybe slightly better and he's doing something that's really unsustainable, and to your point, he he is going to the rim and he's shooting pretty much every time he even goes to the rim. Uh, when that starts to turn the other way, uh, I'm you know, I'm not I'm not really that jazzed about the the long term ramifications of that for them because he, he isn't gonna stop shooting if that starts to go the other way, you know? Yeah, like it's the- just gonna continue. One of the important things, though, is just him getting there because that's something they haven't had 
really yeah, at all. That, that's a good point. Um, and that's, I think it, it's opened things up for Kristaps, it's opened things up for Carmelo, not necessarily through Rose directly finding them, but but through, you know, the defense having to contort itself uh, in yep. ways that it hasn't had to against the Knicks for years. Um, yep. The, the thing that, that always bugs me about the Rose discussion is people are like, well, two, two things really bug me. Anytime he has a good scoring game, there's this rush to pronounce that he's back and he's the MVP again, which is just well, ridiculous. Well, like Zerbiak was right. doing that game the other day. And he, I mean, he gets a shot block on three, three straight possessions late in the game and then, you know, manages to hit a contested 12-footer and it's, you know, oh, the MVP Rose is bad. I was like, no. That that happened against uh, the Bulls in that early season game too, when he had you know what what to that point was his best game of the year. Um, Maybe or there's probably been a a game or two that's been better since then, but certainly on the highlight reel though. Yeah, uh, look, that was that was a great game. He played so well. We don't need to pretend that he's the MVP again. Like that guy is not coming back. It's it's and that's okay. Like he just needs to be an above average point guard for them. But the the thing that that always that really bugs me about the discussion about him is like nobody talks about defense at all with him. Right. Like it's if he's yeah, scoring he's and if he's getting crazy, to the basket, right? Yeah. And it's like you know he had that game against uh, he had the game against Oklahoma City where he had thirty, but yeah, that's so what I was just gonna bring up. Yeah, he, like he gave you know, back he at least that. The other night and got destroyed by Westbrook at the other end all game. Exactly. Like he gave he gave up at least that much against Westbrook. And look, Westbrook does that to everybody, but that doesn't mean you can just like provide no resistance. Um, right. There were a couple games before that where I thought he did a really good job against uh, Damian Lillard and Kemba Walker, um, which was somewhat surprising to me, uh, given how he's played defense throughout most of the rest of the season. But then it sort of you know snapped back. To your point before about. Uh, Rose being, you know, the Knicks needing Rose to be an above-average point guard. I, I think they just need him to be an average one because, you know, he really hasn't been one in recent seasons. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I, like I just said before, if he can, if he can even maintain the level he's been at this thus far, once his, um, you know, make up for some, some, will decline in, you know, shooting in, in the paint when when that starts to dip. I mean, I, I think. I think if I'm the Knicks, I take that because it, you know. But like you said, anybody thinking that that this guy was going to be, you know, the superstar Derrick Rose again, or be, um, being being an All Star in the league, or, or any of that, you know, was was deluding themselves and, and just ignoring the data that we have in the last few years that shows that, you know, like you said before, the, the guy who was, you know, the supernova MVP of the league just isn't coming back again. Yeah, and and that's fine. Like again. If he goes to the basket and draws extra defenders and, and breaks down the defense and lets Carmelo and Chris Abbs get easier opportunities, that's really all the Knicks need him to do. Um, it would be nice if he provided any resistance whatsoever defensively, but maybe that's too much to ask given like the, the, the lack of lateral mobility he has now compared to what he had uh, when he was in Chicago. Um, but you know, and and that's been really the biggest issue for the Knicks this year is their defense at the point of attack, and that's been true for years. And it's it's not just Rose; it's Jennings too. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I think Rose has been, or I think Jennings has been a little better than Rose, specifically because you know when he plays with Porzingis, 
you know, he, he does a really nice job of making sure that Porzingis gets the ball and gets it where he wants it, but but neither one of those guys is a defensive stopper and you know, and kind of a and, and kind of a theme for the rest of the Knicks, you know, they they just don't you know, like I said before, I, I don't really think that the, the overall ranking of twenty eighth in defense is all that um, incongruous with what their talent level is. I mean, they just don't have anybody that can stop the ball at really any position. Um, and you know, even even Chris Tapps, who's been who's been better on defense. I mean, I I kind of disagree with the overall notion that he can't play center. I mean, to me, he he's not quick enough to guard most power forwards. So if he's playing center, he's got decent instincts. I think he can use his size there, but. You know, otherwise, you know, you go up and down the roster, and all these guys are sub-average, sub, you know, below-average defenders, other than uh, other than Courtney Lee. And so, yeah, I mean, the fact that the fact that neither one of those guys can kind of effectively be a a, a ball hawk and a you know and a and a, a bulwark at the top of that defense is is you know a big problem for the Knicks. Yeah, Jennings has done like a lot of really fun work pressuring guys full court. It's when they get slowed down and into the half court and he has to navigate a screen and things like that. That's where he gets caught, uh, and that's most of what defense is. Like, it's it's great and it's fun to watch, and, like, it, it riles up the crowd when he's doing his full court thing like he did to, to, to Ramon Sessions and he did to somebody in the preseason from Washington. He did it to Chris Dunn the other night, Yeah, he too. did it to Chris Dunn. He's, he's done it to a bunch of rookies. Um, but... Yeah, the, the, the half-court defense is, is really a place where the Knicks have struggled overall, and a lot of that is because they can't stop guys from getting into the paint. You know, Even during the, uh, the, the this second stretch of 10 games where they've been playing better, uh, when I went and looked up some numbers, I expected the differences to be pretty drastic in terms of you know how often opponents were um, going driving to the basket from the sport view data. And it really wasn't. It was just that they were shooting worse when they got there, um, right. which, which shows that you know it's not really that they're stopping guys. It's that you know the last line of defense has been better, which is good, and and that's sort of how they played defense last year, and that was how they they got themselves out of the basement. But well, I mean, and what's and what's the what's the common thread there? <coughs> Joakim Noah hasn't played nearly as much. I mean, you know that's. I think that's a. I think that's not an insignificant factor there. They've got, you know, Chris has playing more center. They've got Willie Hernan Gomez playing, and those guys are just more athletic and 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 more active, and you know, not old and hobbled. And, and that's you know, it's unfortunate because Rose or not Rose, Noah's you know been one of I think everybody who likes basketball. He's been one of their favorite guys to watch in recent years because he's just a really fun, um, a really fun player, but. You know, it's it, the, the the fact is, if you just look at this guy, he just doesn't have the physical capability to do what he once could. Yeah, his inability to move the way he used to defensively and on a consistent basis, like he's able to do it for you know a couple possessions at a time, or or even like a game or two. But for the most part, he has not moved the way we're used to, and that's been, I think, the most disappointing thing about the team beyond anything else like even even some things like Melo not shooting that well consistently like that, that, that's fine and I think that will bounce back uh, as he gets more and more open looks as teams devote more attention to Chris Stapps. Um but Noah not being able to move really at all uh, during a lot of games and for large stretches of games has been a disappointment and it's been I think the thing that's hurt them the most other than the, the point guards not really being able to play defense yeah, I mean, look, when 
when we when we talked about we talked about this recently, and people have been have been saying, "Oh, well, the Knicks the Knicks offensive numbers are so good when Joakim plays," and I mean that's fine. But if you if the Knicks didn't sign Joakim Noah to turn them into an offensive juggernaut, uh, they 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 signed him in theory because they thought he could get healthy and be a presence for them inside and play next to Porzingis and, and, and help improve their defense. If he is a defensive liability, he is a he can't play for you because he can't shoot and he can't really move anymore. So I mean he can still make a nice pass here and there, but I mean anybody anybody thinking that, that those numbers were a causation of uh, were a causation of the fact that he was on the court Right. Um, Correlation does not equal causation, basically. Yes, exactly, exactly. Thinking, thinking that Joakim Noah was the reason X had good number offensive numbers and he was on the court in small sample sizes is you know is not seeing not seeing things the right way. Right, and some of that is because you know he's playing with Kristaps and he's playing with Carmelo, um, and and he's not necessarily playing a lot. You know, like he's play, even when he's been healthy, he's played like 23, 24 minutes a game, something like that. So it's when there's uh, stretches of play where the, the Knicks aren't playing well, he's not out there for enough of those stretches for it to drastically affect his numbers. Um, and, and then look, when, when they go small, at the start of the season, those numbers offensively were not good. Lately, they've been much better. Um, particularly when, like you said, like when they play with, with Jennings in that small group. Jennings has been really interesting to me this year because like, he's still not shooting well from literally anywhere on the court, which is and not... He probably un- isn't going, and he probably isn't going to. Right. He never has. It's not unusual for him. That's been a, a trend throughout his entire career. But he's changed like the profile of his game a ton. Like He's passing way more in terms of like the percentage of his touches where he passes instead of shoots, and you look at those sport view numbers, than he ever has, which is, I mean, I don't know what it is. Like, maybe it's just that he really loves getting the ball to Kristaps. Like, he, he, it does seem that way, but it's, it's a pretty strange change for someone moving into their late 20s to have that big of a shift in the way they play. Yeah, you know, it, 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 that stuff's always weird, right? I mean, I mean, Brandon is in, you know, he's he's what twenty seven. I think he's twenty seven. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's played he's played for quite a while now. Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I do think, you know, there is the, the, you know, for a guy like that, for a point guard, there there is there always is the possibility that he could just go. You know what? I, I've kind of evolved into a different kind of player. Um, so I do think that's possible. And look, he clearly, you know, to your point, he clearly has good chemistry with Porzingis. I mean, they really, I mean, you could see just from watching, you can just watch them play and look at the numbers and see that, that he and those two guys have done a really nice job of, you know, building a nice rapport. And it, it's, it's translated to production on the court. Yeah, and he gets the offense moving, like, even faster than Rose does, which is like a, a strange thing to see happen because Rose's calling card is sort of, you know, getting getting the ball up the floor fast and, and getting into the offense quickly. Um, Jennings has done that even more. Um, and I think that that's helped get guys easy looks in transition, get Chris Stapp's like early post position and things like that. Um, it's, it's helped a lot. 
Um, it's not necessarily reflected in all of his numbers because he spends a lot of time playing with bench-heavy units that can't score at all, um, which is you know an issue that we kind of knew was going to come up with this team based on you know who the guys in the bench are, and then even guys like like Lance Thomas, who's one of the few plus shooters they have coming off the bench, or was before he uh, forgot how to shoot again this year. Um, so it's it's that's something that we could have easily foreseen coming. But when he does play with a bunch of the starters, that's something that's that's worked well for them, and that's been a pleasant surprise. Yeah, no, it really it really has been, and and it and it, it does make you wonder if that's something that that should be attempted more going forward, despite some of uh, some of the other hangups that may potentially cause. Yeah, let's uh, before we. Uh, finish off here let's talk about uh our friend mark berman's report that uh, the knicks have not ruled out an extension for derrick rose at some point late in the season um there have not actually been talks which is something that he reported within that piece as well but the fact that it would even be a consideration i think um, is not necessarily the wisest idea. That's uh, something I expressed before the season. It's something I'll continue to express throughout the season. I am assuming that you are of the same mind on this as I am. Like The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. If the Knicks pay another late 20s player with knee issues, big money for multiple years, it's it falls into that category um, no matter how well Rose plays throughout the rest of this season. Uh, yeah, we, we are in agreement. I think that, uh, you know, I, I think given the Knicks history, I think it's very, and given the fact that Mark's covered the team for 20 years, I, I think certainly that, you know, him saying they haven't ruled out an extension is something you should take it at face value. And, uh, I think that such an extension would be a catastrophe. I, I don't even think Derrick Rose has been the best point guard on the team. And I think if you commit to playing him, paying him you know, significant money for the next few seasons, uh, to your point, I think you know, it's going to really have you in a bind. Because you know, for all the reasons we talked about before, he's not, um, you know, he's not the, the player he once was. He's a, a liability on defense. He's not a shooter. And, you know, as time goes by, those things are only going to become bigger problems. And, you know, the way the NBA is now, you need to have a point guard that can really be an initiator on offense. And, you know, I mean, look, you know, do are the Knicks going to be in great shape if they go out and, and throw a bunch of money to a guy like Drew Holiday this offseason? I mean, Pro, you know, chances are that won't work out either. But I'll tell you what: if if I'm betting on a point guard this summer, I certainly go rather bet money on Drew Holiday continuing to play the way he has this year than expecting Derrick Rose to somehow bounce back to a level that over the last four years he's shown no ability to be able to do. And you know, at this point, I think it's pretty safe to say he can't. Yeah, I mean, the, the max contract part of it was just absurd. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, like, even giving him a multi-year deal at all is something that I'm, like, pretty much just de facto not in favor of because right. of, you know, all of the reasons you mentioned. Plus, like, there is no guarantee this guy stays healthy. Like, he hasn't missed a game yet this year, which is, like, a minor miracle. Um 
that probably won't continue. Like, guys with that injury history don't stay healthy. It just nope. doesn't really happen. Um, especially and not over it. the long term. Like, somebody and, responded and when, uh, when I said that on Twitter the other day. Somebody responded with, like, he's only going to be 28. Like, a four-year deal only takes him to 32 years old. And I was like, um, I was like, uh, I responded with, "Oh, Amari's only twenty-seven. A five-year deal only takes him until he's thirty-two years old. Like that—that's the kind of injury. His not uh, like he didn't have micro fracture like Amari, right. but he had three well, surgeries on his and, knee. And, right. Well, and here's the other difference too. The the, the the very fundamental difference between that deal and the Amari deal and the Carmelo deal. Like the Amari and Carmelo are on one side and Derrick Rose on the other. When the Knicks signed Amari, he was an all-star power forward. Right. When the Knicks kept Carmelo, he was an all-star forward. Derrick Rose is not an all-star point guard. If Derrick Rose was still an all-star point guard, then yes, you bite the bullet and you re-sign him. For example... The Clippers are going, you know, Zach Lowe got credit for saying what everybody already knew anyway. I'm not, this isn't a knock on Zach. It's just kind of the way the aggregation community works now that, you know, Zach said Chris Paul is going to seek a five-year max deal. Well, first of all, of course he is. But um, on top of that, the Clippers are going to give him a five-year max deal if he wants to stay there for a five-year max deal. That contract will be a disaster. I mean, Chris Paul is 32. He's had knee, knee problems in the past. He's a small point guard. They never age well. I mean, he, maybe he's John Stockton, who's literally the one small point guard that's ever aged pretty well. Even even still, I mean, him playing up to a $180 million five-year contract or whatever the number would be is basically impossible, right? right? But if you're the Clippers, you have to do that because he's Chris Paul. He's still one of the best 10 or 15 players in the league, and you have a title-contending team. So you keep him, and you run it back, and you hope to win. Like that that's that's a move you have to make. Derrick right. Rose is not in that ballpark. He's an average player at best. And neither are the Knicks. Like it, it would be and one thing can, right. it would and be one thing if they were keeping together a title contending team and this was the point guard that had gotten yeah. them there. I think even in this this stretch of the season there's been no indication that they are or will be that level of team. Well, they're, a borderline, they're a borderline playoff team. I mean, they're a borderline playoff team. I mean, and, and again, like we said earlier, that's fine because their best player is 20 or 21, and that's fine. Like, this, he's developing. Things are going well on that front. Hernan Gomez looks like a play. There, there's stuff that's happening that's good for the Knicks. Right. But throwing a ton of money at Derrick Rose at 28 or 29, whatever it will be next season, is just throwing – more good money after bad and you're just you're just putting yourself in the same predicament you've been in before and the only difference is unlike with Amari when he like really started to turn things around from a you know perception standpoint for this team that could get a star player to come there even if he did have flaws and unlike keeping a guy like Carmelo who despite his flaws is still an all-star player and you know that I think was an important move um you know, from a symbolic standpoint, I, I don't know if I would have done it, but, you know, in the long run, I think keeping him has worked out fine. Um, you know, those were keeping guys that are still really, really good. And Derrick Rose isn't good. And that that really can't be lost sight of in, in the midst of all of the attention that's given to 
you know, well, should we keep Derek? Should we not? Should we do this? Should we do that? You know, the bottom line is this isn't the guy who was the MVP of the league and looked like he was going to be a Hall of Fame player. This is an average at best player who has real flaws, and those flaws, as he gets older and has more injuries, undoubtedly, are only going to get worse. And it's also like, so a lot of the response to, you know, when I said uh, on Twitter that I don't think it would be a good idea to, to re-sign him for multiple years, whatever it is, a lot of the response was like, well, if it's not him, then who is it going to be? And the answer to that is, like, you don't know yet, and that's fine, but there are options. Like, there's free agency, there's trades, there's the draft with, like, six point guards that could be potentially lottery picks that all look awesome. And then there's, like, even if Brandon Jennings hasn't been better than Rose this year, I would say he's been, you know, comparable in quality. He hasn't been worse. He, he he's been comparable in quality at worst. And, and even if he's been worse, it's by a little bit. And for 20% of the cost, like, that's not the kind of player that you then go give a ton of money to be your long-term point guard. Like, if, if you could get somebody for 20% of the cost as somebody else and get comparable play in, in any respect, and then you pay well, that guy Nets, again... The Nets signed Jeremy Lin for half the money that Derrick Rose is getting. And, and Jeremy Lin is a better player than him at this point. Like, they can go... With the way the league is now, they can go find a guy. I mean, they could probably—they probably would have to pay Drew Holiday a max to get him. And Drew Holiday is a—I mean, even with his injury issues, this is it's a significantly better player than what Derrick Rose is at this point. Even um, if Drew Holiday didn't play offense at all, just the fact that he plays defense—that would be great. <laughs> right. I mean that. Right. I mean, honestly, given where the Knicks are at, I mean, yeah, finding a guy. That, that can really play defense is a is a huge priority for them. I and mean, that's something they just really, really need. Um, you know, that, that that's something they really need at that spot, and that that's something they should really try to prioritize. And, and look, Rose, Rose just isn't that guy at this point. Yeah, and look, it's okay to, to not have a definitive answer for the future, and it's okay to, to have Rose as a rental and have him, you know, work with KP throughout this year. Or it's even okay to bring Rose back on like one year if you can't find an answer elsewhere as long as the money's not too huge. But if you're committing long-term big money, that's it's doing what I mean, the Knicks the, have look, always even done. Even if the money's huge, even if they give him a raise and they and they sign him to a one-year deal, I I don't really care, right? I mean, that's fine. If you if it, let's say they go, you know what? We can't. We don't. We're not an Amber with you holiday. Let's give Rose a one year at twenty five, and let's roll it back and hope that we can go get Russell Westbrook in twenty eighteen. I mean, it's not just as a name because I just thought you know that's the first star name that popped in my head that'll be available at point. Um, like I'm even fine with that. Would I do that? No, because I don't think Rose is that good. But at least if you're signing a guy for one year as, a, as another stopgap because you can't find a better option, then I, I mean that's fine. Like, whatever. I mean that you know that I wouldn't I wouldn't do it, but I could at least at least it's only a one year deal, and there I don't think there really is a bad such a bad thing as a one year deal. Um, the problem would be is if you commit like you used to your point earlier, three or four years and big money to a guy that's got injury issues and already isn't the kind of player that you need him to be uh, in order to, to to take the next step that you're trying to take. It's also like the next step is just like. 
it's not necessarily championship contention yet. The next step is like knowing that you're gonna make the playoffs. Like yeah. it's the best again, like like you said, the best player on the team is twenty one, he'll be twenty two next year. You wanna be set up so that you're in position that you can contend for the entire window when he's like twenty four to thirty two. You know? That that's that's still a couple of years away. The the especially looking forward for what deals you're going to sign this summer, you want to bring in guys that are going to be able to help him during that window, not guys who are going to start breaking down by the time you get to that window. Uh, and even if you think that Rose is going to stay healthy for the next couple of years, which again is going against the injury history of like every other player who has had the kind of injuries he's had, um, by the time you get to the point where, where KP is in that physical prime of his career, Rose is going to be like 30-32. You know, it's it's not, it doesn't match up, and it's it's one thing to sign a guy who doesn't match up with that timeline, who is a star level player or who does specific things that you really need um, to to help Chris Stapps get where you want him to go or to help uh, Mello do something like if you get uh, another combo forward that you can play with Carmelo so that they can play the three and the four at the same time and that guy can space the floor and always take the tougher defensive matchup, uh, like a, a significantly better version of Lance Thomas, um, then, then yeah, that's that's a guy who it's okay to go out of your, uh, your age range for. But if it's a guy who, for the most part, is siphoning possessions away and not playing good defense and not necessarily looking to pass when he's on his way to the basket, so the fact that he attacks the basket... Uh, is helpful, but not necessarily as helpful as it could be. Um, that's not someone you want to go out of the age range for. If it's Chris Paul, do that in a second. But this is not Chris Paul. Yeah, and and, and, and you know what? If Chris Paul wants to come to the Knicks, then you bite the bullet and you pay him the max. And yeah. that contract probably blows up. And you know what? It's worth the risk. But Derrick Rose is not Chris Paul, to your point. And yeah. that... That that's the that's the reality of where he's at and where the Knicks are at. It's it's worth risking that on an All NBA player. It's not worth risking that on a guy who's just better than what you've been watching for the last few years. Yep. Like. Yep. And it's. Uh, I don't mean to end it on that that downer of a note, but that's the way I feel. I know that there are people out there that don't necessarily feel the same way, but you know. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I just have the podcast to express mine. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's uh, hey, that's why you got that's why you got a pod, man. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. That's why the podcast is here. That's why I bring on people like Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post. Check out his work there. Check out uh, his his tweets. Checking out um, every team around the league. Based out in Oakland now, he abandoned me back in New York. But uh, I'm still friends with him anyway. Tim, thanks so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Of course, Jared. I was happy to do it, man. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, boss.